It appears to be the opinion of many, and it may be a majority of persons, who believe a person who wears a cross is a Christian. Virtually everyone believes the person identifies as a Christian, and most do. At least the assumption must be made, and the person taken to be a Christian unless they tell us otherwise. In other words, in the minds of most people, Christian is an identity akin to gender. There are even a goodly number of persons who will tell us it is not for us to judge the heart of another. If you say you are a Christian, you have become a full member of the body of believers. This is the standard line given when the issue of faith is raised. Christians are well known to argue the church is not a building or bodies in pews. A Christian is not a person who prefers heaven over hell either. But this does not leave us with no alternative but to accept Christianity is nothing more than a label some persons attach to themselves. If the church is not bodies in pews, it is not bodies wearing crucifixes either. Nor does heaven have a sign-up sheet. People do not get into heaven the way they get into a soup kitchen by putting their name on a list of volunteers. But how has the idea of who a Christian is become so watered down and devoid of meaning? Why is a Christian considered to be little more than a gendered identity? The Bible tells us that whosoever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Does this suggest a process that relies on volunteers as if going to heaven was akin to joining the local bridge club? No one enters their own name in the book of life. It is not a sign-up sheet. Heaven is not occupied by those who wish to be bound or volunteering to be bound. Salvation is not declaring to God we are sufficient and indeed entitled to enter the heavenly city. Being bound on earth is not a contract we sign bounded with several rider clauses. Salvation is a certification and certification is a process of being found sufficient. Let that sink in. Salvation by grace has permitted too many to assume grace is there for all, like a food bank. That we cannot earn salvation does not mean it has no entry requirements or standards. Some churches have created doctrines to weed out wolves in sheep's clothing, but doctrinal differences have probably ended up weeding out more people the church ought not have excluded than wolves. The church is torn between accepting everyone and walling itself in with strict doctrines and ethical codes. How do we be a light on the hill if the building is down in the valley with the fallen? Do we permit alcohol and drugs in the church? We need to draw some lines, but lines exclude all those on the far side of them. The church does not wish to exclude anyone, but does not want to include everyone either. The church accepts the poor and the rich. We accept the strong and the weak. We accept people of all political beliefs. We cannot accept the overly exuberant or hecklers. No group can accept everyone in practice. Being open sounds good, but given the nature of sin, I is impractical. Some people and some behavior is not acceptable, and those who exhibit it must be ejected, if for no other reason than to stop everyone else from leaving. The question is not if there is a Christian identity, the question is a doctrine's the best way to define it. Is defining who a Southern Baptist is, or who an Anglican is, the best way to protect the identity of who a Christian is? The question is contradictory. Baptists and Anglicans are Christian, but not being either one does not make one an atheist. Christians need to rethink how our faith could be branded and our body trademarked to exclude those who enter to scatter the flock. Ecclesiastically, the church must do this without excluding people who exhibit doctrinal autonomy. 
what beliefs are incompatible with the church, and which are not though they be in conflict with traditional understanding. Every attempt at this has resulted in greater division and additional barriers to consolidating the body. The ecclesiastical branding process is not about who has the chief authority in the church. We serve Christ and no other. This argument who has the highest standing in the body has kept the church divided since the Reformation. Who of us will sit next to Christ is not a question we ought to bring up again. The reliance on doctrines to define the church has not helped to actually define the body of believers under Christ. It is not that we do not all agree that a Christian is a believer in the saving grace of Christ, but we cannot identify who this is other than the person belongs to a doctrinally sound Christian church. The radical church agrees we are saved by faith and not by works, but we view testaments and prayers of repentance as works. Radicals believe adherence to doctrine is also a work. We agree that the believer undergoes a change of heart during the conversion process and that none of this makes us more entitled to be saved or more justified. We do not believe faith is either physiological or epistemological. Faith is not an altered consciousness or a new awareness. Faith does not give us new knowledge. These things happen and are correlates of faith, but they are not the sum total of what faith encompasses. To be saved by faith is not to be saved by our faith, because our faith does not exist until we believe in God, and we cannot make this leap on our own. We are not the agents of our own salvation. We can work our way to an understanding of God and be brought to a faith in God, but God is the one who chooses us and the path we take. Some will argue that this is preordination, and preordination means those who remain unsaved were likewise chosen to die unsaved. But God is not cause in the way we understand causation. He is not time delimited. A cause precedes the effect. God is not in time. God does not come before an event nor after it. He is that towards which all events proceed. God is ontological, not mechanical. Events seek God. God is not that which all events flow from. Indeed, when God causes something to happen, it is not because he is sufficient cause, it is because things cannot be any other way. We are bounded by logic as are all things, other than God who is the creator of logic, not the consequence of logic. When God says, let there be light, he is not talking from a point before the event, but from the end of the event. When he says, it is good it is because he is at the completion of creation, not the beginning. Our faith in God cannot be the critical element in our salvation because God's salvation came before we even knew him. Luke 1.15 For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 6 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. We are saved by our creation, but in our living, we reject him. This will not make sense in a world that sees us as physical beings. But we are spiritual beings designed for the worship of God. Perhaps atheism might be likened to a Rolls Royce used off-road. We, like a touring vehicle, were not designed for the use to which we are put. 
If we are saved by faith, the faith we have is not manifested as knowledge of God. Even the devil and his fallen angels know Christ. But if we have faith in God, we ought to have faith in the people of God. To be saved by faith is to be saved by an election that culminates in our response to what God offers. Do we take up our identity as an elect of God, or do we take up another identity provided by another master? It is not faith in God that saves us, it is faith in God that leads to works of faith, which are acts that build the church. We must do the work of Christ, not as works leading to salvation, but as works of someone who is saved. The salvation we seek is before us, given to us before creation, but we have to live up to it by our works of faith. These are done in concert with other believers to build the church. Salvation makes us radicals because we are not just living according to the laws of God, we are living apart from the fallen. God is perfecting us for his service, even as we are becoming alienated from the world of the flesh and the life of sin, into which we were born, yet born heirs to the grace of God. The Christian is a purpose-driven creature because we are driven to find our way to God. Whereas liberals are walking, rather rapidly, in the other direction. Yet it is liberals that set the standard, meaning those who oppose the liberal agenda are deemed radicals. It is our radicalization that sets us apart. A radical is a centrist because the world is composed of extremists. Yet extremists think they are centrists. Extremists adopt a position that is totally subjective and they identify themselves by whether they want more or less of some factor, as if they are a button on a sliding scale. Libertarians slide the lever far to the right and socialists far to the left. But they evaluate everyone else in terms of their own position on the scale, as if they were the standard. That is because there is no actual center or middle place on continuum where the extremes are infinitely distant from each another and from the center established by an extremist. Extremists slide towards one end or the other of an infinitely long continuum. Radicals move away from the extremes, but also we reject extremism. This is why radicals are inherently centrists. The left wants larger, more regulatory, active governments, and the right wants less government and fewer regulations, at least the ones that impact businesses. Radicals want meritocracy tied to the building of civilization and the creation of value. Radicals oppose anarchy and autocracy, but we also oppose those agencies and agents that push us towards these extremes. Radicals reject democracy. We reject giving equal power to our enemies. We deny the right of those who have not added value to civil society, having a say in how the value is allocated. The key feature of Western radical thought is that radicals do climb aboard these polarized continuums. We do not veer to either end of a political, economic, or religious spectrum. This does not mean radicals are not closer to conservatives than to liberals, but we do not embrace the conservative position nor see conservatism as a way to contest liberalism. The radical position is central, but not because it is in the middle of any two extremes. There is no center in a polarized infinite continuum. The left and right are infinitely distant as polar opposites, so there cannot be a center point. If you can be halfway in your journey, or at the center between two points, you are not on a series with infinite regress. The trouble with anarchy as a political movement is that while it opposes our formal regulatory apparatus, it does not have formal restrictions against informal or arbitrary controls, such as those that might be initiated by gangs or warlords. 
It claims there are limits on the exercise of arbitrary authority, but of course cannot demonstrate these restrictions work or cannot be overcome. A Christian is a radical because we believe in the golden rule. To do unto others as we would have them do unto us is radical. If we do not want to be murdered, as Christians we do not murder. But this is not sufficient to fulfill the conditions of the golden rule. As Jesus said, if you think ill of someone you have murdered him in your heart. A radical Christian prioritizes the golden rule. The golden rule is not reciprocation, though many think of it in this way. To do unto others what you think men should do unto you requires us to take a preemptive approach in the way Jesus did. The golden rule places reform squarely on the believer. To do all things unto others that men should do unto you puts the onus on the believer to do what you want done unto you. Christianity is not about being reactive. As a believer, we need to be proactive and even preemptive. It is our radicalism that makes us Christian. It is radicalism that gives Christianity a way to brand our identity. The church is an institution that stresses accountability. But accountability is a radical notion predicated on there being a purpose that must be adhered to and a right to challenge those who appear to have lost sight of the ultimate goal. The church is built on Christ, but the building blocks are three or more persons who come together to hold each other accountable. The church is a device that holds us accountable, which makes no sense if there is not something to which we are committed. Christians are accountable to each other. If we are not accountable to one another, we lack faith in each other, and if we cannot have faith in the people of God, we cannot have faith in God. If we do not have faith in God, we have abandoned our commitment to the purpose of God. If the church is to devise a scientific proof of God, the church must be branded. Christians must have a protected and clearly defined identity. The radical church is a process by which a Christian identity can be certified. The question can be asked, how do Christians create a group with a membership and branded identity without resorting to doctrines and authoritarian hierarchies at odds with the true nature of the church? The correlate of this question is asking what divides the believer from the world. Where do believers draw the line between Babylon and Apriorian, which represents the city of God on earth? It is impossible to define a Christian if we do not know what we are not. Babylon and liberals are extremists. Their ideology is founded on the law of extremism, might makes right and the end justifies the means. Those who oppose one group are extremists against them. But the nature of extremism, based on power as it is, is always focused on dominating one group or another, thus they create their own opposition. Radicals are opposed to all extremism and so it is membership in the Western radicals that define a non-extremist and someone who is committed to fulfilling the purpose of God. We will talk about this purpose in a talk of the same name, the purpose of God.